This is your host, Daniel Storm, and you're listening to the RPG Radio Show. If this is your first time listening, you can start here. These vignettes are meant to stand alone, though listening to the first season would provide heaps of context. To our returning listeners, hello, old friends. I've missed you more than words can say. It's been a year and a day since we parted ways when we said it would only be a season. We've been on some incredible adventures, and I can't wait to share them with you. We hope you enjoyed Dawn. We've grown and changed a lot over our first season. We're excited to continue those improvements in season two. Thank you for your support and for joining us on this adventure. What follows is the epilogue for our first season. Like our interludes, these are pre-written and not improvised. Our talented cast of guest actors will provide glimpses into events around Sildum as tensions ratchet even higher within our band of heroes. Raven, also known as Wreck-It Raven, and I played Denny. Epilogue, Strings. Denny's new patron said the meeting would be here in the belly of Bon Kuldir. She thought it had a certain ring to it. In the belly of Bon Kuldir. Perhaps that would be the name of her first concerto. She picked her way through the crowded tavern where the music of conversation felt wrong, forced. She plucked an innocuous tune as she edged her way carefully through a crowd of smelly bodyguards in thick gray cloaks, through an oaken door, and finally found it. The first meeting of her new secret orchestra. Her fingers flubbed a note out of excitement as she spotted the first chair. The Denny stared at the chair that sat at the head of the table. She ignored its occupant for now and focused on the chair itself. It was rather plain, though the back did arch over the occupant's head to end in Coalfield scroll work. The arms didn't raise too high, which was good. They wouldn't obstruct her playing. It was getting harder to stop. Her calluses bled. They always did when she played. The drops fell to the wood as she plucked an innocuous tune. The fine ebony grain of the violin drank it thirstily. As the instrument consumed her blood, it emanated waves of magic carried on each note as she played. Her fingers picked idly at the strings as she took stock of the man in the first chair. The music seemed to make her invisible to others beneath their notice. It allowed her the chance to observe her new players as an unknown audience member. The first chair raged, his tone full of accusation. His words were quick, sharp, and harsh. He clashed horribly with the others seated around the table, ten in total. She prowled the room as they held a heated conversation. She tuned out the words and watched their faces, heard the dissonant song of their overlapping voices as they all shouted, gestured, and pointed. She changed her tune ever so slightly, her innocuous song now providing a discordant countermelody to their own jarring chords, and they continued to ignore her completely. 
As she circled one last time, Denny stopped behind the first chair. In the chamber orchestra circuit of Caspain, the first chair was both an instrumentalist and a conductor, alternating between the two to guide the other instrumentalists. It was their responsibility to alter the music based on the reaction of the audience, skipping and repeating sections to elicit the right emotion. The current first chair was sloppy. A good leader could command with a look and the tilt of a bow, subtle gestures that the audience would never notice. It took years of practice to get to that level of intimacy with a group of musicians, but she had time. The best orchestras practiced in secret, some for seasons on end only emerging to provide spectacular concerts. She would show them all. Her next performance would be the stuff of legend. But first, this group needed unification, a consistent tempo, direction, and most of all, they needed to disappear. They would fade into the background, out of mind and out of memory. In the belly of Bon Kuldir would be the first of many concertos. She would end this one with her bow whispering a lullaby like a mother lulling her unruly children to sleep. But the piece would have a bold and dramatic beginning. Standing behind their leader, their first chair, she pulled at the dwarf's hair and drew the strings of her violin sharply across his throat. Blood bubbled and oozed from the four deep gashes as the dwarf choked on his screams. Her spell of invisibility was broken as Dedeni allowed her instrument to drink its fill. The violin thrummed with the power of the dwarf's ebbing lifeblood. The others were beginning to shout, call for guards, and pull weapons of their own. Dedeni smiled, knowing the music would change their minds as she tucked the violin under her chin and began to play. I'm Matt Joro, and I play Killick. I'm KP, and I play Inzine. I'm Claire Clausen, and I play the Palace Guard. Epilogue, Killick. Killick hated waiting. His blood raged. Each vein felt on fire, and that fire demanded that he move, fight, kill. He mastered those demands, for now. He and the rest of the Night Watch Guard clung to the supports under the bridge that spanned Zilladim's ornamental jellyfish pond waiting. A glob of saliva threatened to spill over the bulge tucked in Killick's cheek. The rough brown fibers of thorn produced a murky, foul-tasting liquid when chewed. Killick spat into the water and watched as jellyfish swirled and undulated toward the disturbance that sent ripples through the otherwise placid surface. That is absolutely foul. You know that, right, Killick? Inzine hissed. I mean, the smell of it alone... 
and Zine mimed gagging for a moment before continuing in a whisper, so quiet it could barely be heard over the pounding blood in Killick's eardrums. It's not like chewing thorn will ever help you beat Patterit in a trial. Only talent will do that. Killick bared rows of brown-stained interlocking teeth in reply. He had started chewing thorn for the edge it gave him in combat. It made him faster, stronger, deadlier. But now, he couldn't stop. If he didn't have a wad of thorn tucked into his cheek, his limbs would start to shake and his stomach would twist and turn against him. Even with the aid of Thorn, he still couldn't defeat Patterit in single combat. Patterit. <laughs> he looked spat at the pond again, prompting another low hiss from Inzine. One day, he'd kill that lummox and make it look like an accident. Maybe that day would be today. Their opponent would certainly be an adequate challenge. Killick considered killing everyone he met. He would watch them move, walk, speak, and eat, searching for weakness, imagining the perfect way to slip past their guard and take their life. Because of his speed and skill, most everyone Killick met would be easy prey. But not the blind Inquisitor. Despite his blindfold and cane, Killick could tell the Inquisitor was aware of every movement around him. Though he had never seen an Inquisitor fight, Killick had no doubt Lenryish was as deadly as they come. Maybe Patterit's plan would work and the ambush on the bridge would be bloodless. They would surround the man, knock him unconscious, and throw him through a portal to the wild. Thinking back to the way the Inquisitor moved, though, Killick doubted it would be so clean. He wouldn't try to kill the Inquisitor. Zilladim had forbidden it, but Killick relished the thought of causing a mishap or two. And Zine's ears twitched a moment before Killick heard the tromping footfalls of palace guards. One of them bleated feebly. Excuse me, my... <clears throat> my lord, in Inquisitor, if you would return and wait in the sitting room, uh, Lord Zilladim will... will send for you uh, whenever he is. This was it. The wait was finally over. It was time to pit himself against the Inquisitor. He and the other night watch guards sprang into action, swinging up and onto the bridge from below. I'm Daniel Storm, and I play Lenriesh. Epilogue, Lenriesh. Lenriesh paced around the confines of the sitting room he had been unceremoniously sequestered to. Despite the scarf tied securely over his eyes, he stepped deftly around the delicate furniture in his endless circuit of the small chamber. He wanted nothing more in the moment than to draw his blade and make charred tinder of each and every piece Anger clouds a clear mind, just as sure as clouds can hide the lady's light. He repeated the simple proverb several times under his breath, shame quickly replacing the blistering anger that raged in him moments before. His fist unclenched from around the tightly furled parchment, his reason for being in Zilladim's palace in the first place. Lenriash brushed his thumb over the wax seal of Lord Reflector Hazadim Kuldir, feeling crossed hammers over a jagged peak. The old dwarf's mental acuity appeared to be declining even more rapidly than was widely believed. It took Lenriesh three separate explanations of the Gradon threat to convince the dwarven ruler that he needed access to the prisoners Zilladim had stolen from him. It was the gauntlet, found in Gavin's pack, that eventually swayed the Lord Reflector. The prospect of weaponry of unknown origin seemed to concern the eldest Kuldir in his few moments of lucidity. 
Even after he had Hazadim's signature and seal, the old dwarf waved him away with a vague, Now you show the Empire we Kuldirs don't bow and scrape like those toadies up in Felder. Lenriesh doubted that Hazadim would remember ever signing the document. Fortunately, the Lord Reflector's steward and several houseguards were in attendance and could corroborate his account of events. Hopefully, they would never need to. The shame he felt moments earlier was gradually fading to cold calm as Lenria stopped pacing. He was behaving like a caged cloud stalker, but he was done with propriety. He carried in his clenched fist the might of a Lord Reflector. He was done waiting on the whims of a Lord Brilliant. He burst out of the sitting room, startling the two guards set to escort him through the palace. Lenriesh heard the clanking of their armor as they belatedly followed in his wake, momentarily too stunned to speak. As Lenriesh's long strides brought him into an ornamental garden, one guard began to stammer. Excuse me, my... My lord, Inquisitor, if you would return and wait in the sitting room, uh, Lord Zilladim will... We'll send for you uh, whenever he is. Lenriesh didn't bother to turn, cutting off the guard in a voice that reverberated coldly off the vaulted ceiling. I have waited quite long enough. I am guided by the light of Hyksnos, and there is darkness to expunge. You may follow, but I suggest you do not stand in my path. As his confident stride carried him onto a bridge that spanned a pond, a scent assailed him. Thorn. And in the instant he realized he was trapped, he knew it was too late for him to escape. He could hear them, smell them, and feel the ripples of the air as they moved. He wasn't sure of the exact number yet, but at least a half dozen guards climbed from under the bridge to block his passage both forward and back. From the muffled clanking of their armor, he could tell they were outfitted more lavishly than standard palace guards. Ah, Lenriesh thought. That explained the smell of the thorn. He spoke out, knowing at least one amongst the number that accosted him. So nice of you to come and escort me to your master, Killick. But it is unwise for your master to allow a rabbit animal to wander around his palace without a leash. As he spoke, Lenriesh clamped his eyes shut, and reaching behind his head, began untying the ceremonial scarf that covered his eyes. He could hear their heart rates increase as he let the scarf flutter to the ground. He could sense their hesitation. They didn't advance, though they had him easily outnumbered. On the bridge, he could use their numbers against them. He knew the reputation of Zilladim's Nightwatch guard. Lenriesh doubted he would survive this fight. If this was his last stand, he would steal away as many of Zilladim's pawns as he could before Hyksnos welcomed him to the Everlight Halls. Just at the edge of his keen hearing came the sound of clomping hooves, rapidly approaching. So, the legendary Patterit would join the fray as well. At least now he knew why the rest of the guards waited. The Minotaur was their reinforcement. So be it. Lenriesh took a wide but relaxed stance, hand on the hilt of his sword cane. You know, Killick. There is a common misconception about blind inquisitors. Many people believe we wear scarves to protect ourselves from you, the unclean masses. In truth, we wear them to protect you from us. With that, he charged, 
Opening his eyes and drawing his blade simultaneously, Lenriesh blazed with radiance. Light erupted from his blade, momentarily blinding his opponents. He began to scream the battle hymn of the blind inquisitors as he fought. If today was the day Hyksnos ended his service, then he would die, radiating her glory. I'm Jesse Jurdak, and I play Akadim Kuldir. Hi, my name is Harley Kane, and I play Yay Last. I'm Keosan, and I play Breke. Epilogue. Akadim. Squad leader Yelest tuned their loot amid the gales of laughter. Akadim raised his mug in a toast to the soldier and minstrel as the strings complained and hummed in harmony under Yelest's ministrations. The soldier-songwriter, as they styled themselves, called out to the knot of onlookers. What rhymes with acid breath? Ha! Aye. What be your mother's dress? Jeered Brecky. The skin across the stout halfling's arm still had an irritated red cast to it, despite Sister Margrave's healing. The onlookers burst out laughing as Brecky attempted to hide relishing in the pleasure of his own wit. More like your rancid stench. When was the last time you washed that gambeson? Retorted Yelest to another gale of laughter from the gathered crowd. Though, I must admit, your rhyme is better. It was a slant rhyme in all, Brecky. Be careful, though. Keep making witticisms like that, and you'll soon be known as the Polak's Poet. Akadim forced a chuckle, joining in with the rest, and for a brief moment was transported away from his dark musings of what the next few days held in store. It was difficult for him to feign merriment as his troops feasted, sang, drank, and celebrated victory over the two-headed monstrosity from the wild. Falsifying an emotion always felt like being dishonest, and dishonesty had always twisted his gut like sour root. Soldiers didn't always need to know the entire battle plan, but they did deserve honesty and integrity from their commander. They deserved this respite after risking their lives against that foul creature. They deserved the fleeting but precious comfort of camaraderie. If his troops could sing and laugh after burying 17 of their friends, then so could Akadim. For one night, he could celebrate the lives of the fallen, victory, and the kinship only felt by companions in arms. Akadim feared their next task would be darker still. Wild Spring lay north along the Beacon's Highway. Reports from the blind Inquisitor Linriash were that the town was devastated. People, buildings, livestock, and land. Linriash had never reported false information yet. Tomorrow, Akadim and his men would travel north along the Beacon's Highway to survey the damage and bury the dead of Wild Spring. He felt the weight of their deaths cascade onto him like a collapsing tunnel in a familiar mine. He could have stopped it. He should have stopped it. They were his people, his responsibility. His father, Lord Reflector Hazadim Kuldir, had taught him that. The old dwarf used to say, a mountain peak rises high. It pierces the sky and stands in glory and defiance of all the forces that would drag it down. But... The peak only stands so long as every stone beneath it does. For a dizzying moment, Akadim could almost feel the structure beneath him tremble and shift. The solid foundation that upheld his entire life suddenly felt tenuous, fragile, and on the verge of collapse. His father, once so full of wisdom and strength, struggled to remember conversations from one moment to the next. 
The old dwarf's mind and faculties cracked and crumbled like shale underfoot. Hasidim's advisors, ever power-hungry, continued to introduce bureaucracy and impede action. They were the reason troops hadn't been sent out sooner. They were the reason the Beacon's open road was closed to travel and commerce, and they were the reason the citizens of Wildspring were left to fend for themselves. Akadim eventually defied his manipulated father's orders and left to defend the territory north of Bon Kuldir. His elite fighting force had done their duty and, with him at their head, defeated the shadow-cursed abomination. But they were far too late to save the folk of Wildspring. Recalling the source of information that had finally spurred him to action, Akadim's thoughts turned to the blind Inquisitor. Linriash hadn't checked in through his talking tile in quite some time. That wasn't like him. Perceptive, precise, and punctual with his reports, the Inquisitor was supposed to be retrieving prisoners from Ziladim. Azadim had eventually signed the writ, countermanding Ziladim's authority to remove the prisoners from the Inquisitor's custody. That was hours ago now. If he didn't have a duty to see the people of Wildspring's bodies return to Hyksnos, Akadim would march immediately back to Bon Kuldir to sort out the mess that Ziladim had created. Somehow, he feared his younger brother was involved in Linriash's conspicuous silence. He was broken out of his reverie by Yalest, who struck a chord on their freshly tuned lute and began to sing. A friend, a friend, I lost a friend, but brave they fought till bitter end. A beast, a beast with acid breath straight from the realm of wickedness did sunder faith and hell eyes true but Akadim was on the move our brilliant lord lord Akadim with axe in hand he slew the beast Galest continued to write and perform the ballad of the two-headed terror deep into the night and that's where we'll end the adventure for now Join us next week for part two of our season one epilogue. We're doing not one, but two dice giveaways in conjunction with this episode release. Find us on Twitter for more information on how to enter at RPG Radio Show. A special thanks to all of our guest performers. If you'd like to know more about them, check out the episode notes for links to their socials. Now, stay tuned for a word from another friendly podcast. Witness an exploration of imagination. Uh, I cast Cure Wounds. Award-winning level acting. I reach forward, and I open the door. Non-stop suspense. What am I reading? Whose turn is it? And twists and turns that will have you talking around the water cooler for days. Dale, if I hear you say that you're jealous of Davin's necklaces one more time... All this and more in The Hired Swords, coming to a podcast near you. The Hired Swords is a D&D 5e actual play podcast and cannot be held responsible for any side-splitting laughter, falling in love with fictional characters, or general desires to start hoarding fantasy sets of dice. Please listen responsibly. Available anywhere podcasts are sold.